Hey everyone, and welcome to Social Sport, the podcast where I explore the connection between endurance sports and social change. I'm your host, Emma Zimmerman, and this show is a member of the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. The athletes that I speak with on this show are climate change activists, mental health advocates, and promoters of more inclusive outdoor spaces. What ties all of these athletes together is that they're each committed to exploring the connection between sport and activism in their lives. Today's episode is a truly special one, and I mean it when I say that I am honored to speak with every single guest that I have on the show. Still, as a podcast host, there are athletes who I consider to be dream guests. These are athletes who, through their work, have made an immeasurable impact on the world. Today's guest, Chris Mosier, is one of them. Chris is a Hall of Fame triathlete, an all-American duathlete, and a six-time member of Team USA. He was the first transgender athlete to qualify for the Olympic trials in the gender with which they identify, the first transgender athlete to represent the United States in international competition, to appear in the ESPN body issue, and to be sponsored by Nike. He has devoted his life to fighting for transgender athletes' rights and fair, inclusive policy. In this episode, Chris and I talk about the current moment we are in with so many bills on the table that attack transgender youth. We also talk about the documentary Changing the Game that Chris is the executive producer of and that follows three transgender high school athletes. As you can imagine, Chris is an incredibly busy guy, so we had a short window of time to record this episode, but the shorter interview actually allowed us to really zero in on the crucial elements of this moment that we're in. I hope you take away as much as I did from this conversation with the incredible Chris Mosier. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Social Sport. It's such an honor to have you on today. And I'll have given an intro, but just so my listeners get to hear from you, could you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, where you are right now, and what you're passionate about. Excellent. Hi, my name is Chris Mosier. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm speaking to you today from the traditional unceded homeland of the Council of Three Fires, also known as Chicago, Illinois. I am a Team USA athlete, and I am also an activist and founder of transathlete.com and the executive producer of Changing the Game documentary. I'm passionate about fighting for the rights of all athletes, uh, specifically LGBTQ athletes and trans and non-binary athletes, making sure that everyone has an equal opportunity to participate in the sports that they love and be their authentic selves. Thank you so much for that, Chris. And I just want to commend you and thank you for all of the incredible work that you've done. I know my listeners will will know that I reference your work all the time. I talk about trans athlete, point anyone to that site if they're wondering how to get involved and how to fight against these harmful bills that we're seeing right now. So first of all, thank you for this incredible contribution you are making to the world. Thank you. It really came out of my own um my own opportunity of, of transitioning and not seeing policies out there. And I'm so happy that it's been a great resource for folks, especially as anti-trans sports bills have been surfacing across the country and more and more people are trying to make sports a more inclusive space for all athletes. 
For sure. So I want to talk a little bit about that and get into the current moment that we are in, because this year alone, state legislators, legislatures, excuse me, have introduced over 100 bills that would restrict trans rights and harm transgender individuals. And I think a lot of us talk about these bills, but when we do, we don't necessarily go into what that harm looks like on a tangible level. So what comes to mind when you think about the way in which these bills will harm and have already harmed transgender youth, transgender athletes? Yeah, I'm so glad you said have already harmed, because that's a really important point. Even if some of these bills don't pass, and you know, many of them did get vetoed or uh, turned down in the process. But, you know, there's a very real damage that happens for trans people, for non-binary people, just having to hear ourselves be talked about in this manner. And so, as you mentioned, over 150 of these bills introduced this year targeted the trans community, and 75 of them specifically targeted transgender youth playing sports. And this year, we've seen eight of those bills be signed into law in some fashion, making nine states total with Idaho last year that already ban trans kids from playing sports on the, on the team that affirms their gender. And so when we're looking at this big picture, you know, in addition to those sports bills, we also saw many of them paired with bills that would limit or restrict or completely ban access to, to gender affirming health care for trans youth. Mm-hmm. And so those two went hand in hand. And we also saw bills that that sought to limit or restrict people's ability to change their gender marker on their identification cards or their birth certificates. And so when you pair all of those together, it becomes very clear that this is not about sport. This is not specifically about sport. It's about keeping trans people out of public life. It's about discrimination. And it's it's really unfortunate and, and disheartening to see that young people, that kids are the target of these politicians who are using trans identity as a way to try to gain some sort of political advantage or push, an, uh, push a, a discrimination agenda. For sure. You talk about that political advantage, that discrimination agenda, and we hear time and time again from people who support these anti-trans bills, the phrase protect girls sports. I have air quotes right now. My listeners can't see. (laughs) Could you talk to me about why that is a fundamentally flawed and harmful phrase? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, first of all, it's important to note, there are policies in almost every state in the country at the high school level that have um, already determined the access for transgender youth. And so each state has a high school state athletic association. And before last year, before Idaho HB 500 was passed, it was the state high school associations that were responsible for creating the policies for trans youth. And across the board, we have a patchwork of policies. Some of them are very inclusive. Some of them are not inclusive at all. And some states do a case-by-case basis, but there are things that have been in place. And I mentioned that because there was actually an AP article that came out this year that said in state after state after state, lawmakers fail to be able to cite or mention any example of transgender athletes participating in sports actually being a problem. And so what we've seen is lawmakers have created this narrative that the inclusion of transgender people is in direct contradiction to uh, to women's sports and to protecting and helping women's sports. When the reality is, we know that there are many very real issues in women's sports in terms of, of equality and equity. 
in terms of equal pay, opportunities for young people, opportunities for athletes to be coaches, high rates of sexual assault. You know, the list goes on and on. And there's a great report from the Women's Sports Foundation called Chasing Equity that outlines 10 of the greatest threats to women's sports right now that we actually saw play out in the NCAA March Madness tournament and several other instances recently. Not one mention of transgender athletes in that report because this is actually a solution in search of a problem. You know, we, we've seen trans athletes have been participating with their peers without issue for decades. And again, you know, lawmakers can't cite problems right now. These are just bills that are being created strictly to discriminate. You just mentioned so many important resources and I'll link them in the show notes. And I just, I think it's really important to highlight what you were saying that there are threats to women's sports and that transgender athletes are not one of them. And I think it's so important to remind people to bring their attention to those real threats that exist rather than focusing on this non-issue because allowing people to participate with the gender they identify is not a threat to women's sports. We'll definitely link those, you know, resources in the show notes as well. So and people can learn what's more. extremely frustrating about this is that these lawmakers who are saying that we need to save and protect women's sports, you know, I'm curious how many of them have watched a WNBA game how many of them buy tickets to support some of their local, you know, I think there's so there's so much better use of the money, time and energy that could go into actually saving, actually protecting women's sports than discriminating against a few people who want to play with their friends. And I think that's really important to call out. And, you know, just to drive this point home, transgender athletes participating in women's sports is not an issue. And not only is it not an issue, it actually helps promote the inclusion of all athletes. And so what I mean by that is in states that have trans-inclusive policies right now, so states like California and Connecticut, for example, that have had trans-inclusive high school policies for years, we've actually seen that the rates of participation of cisgender girls in those states have either stayed, stayed the same or actually increased while the participation nationally has decreased. And so having an inclusive policy is good for all students. I think that's so important, but I can imagine for you and for many people, it comes with mixed emotions and that we have to cite or that we feel like we have to cite that, oh, this is inclusive. This is good for uh, cisgender girls as well. And that just saying, you know, transgender athletes' rights are human rights. A transgender athlete should be able to participate with, with the gender they identify with. Um, like that that's not enough of an argument. Uh, does that yeah. come with frustration for you? It's it's so frustrating. And that's such a good point, because what we've seen is this real dehumanization of transgender people in, in the way that we're talked about, in the way that we're portrayed in the media. Something like 92% of the news articles that have come out recently about transgender athletes don't actually talk about a transgender athlete. They talk about trans athletes in theory, like like in like mm. as if we were a theory not real people and when when people read articles like that when people see lawmakers sit and listen to a young person who shares their truth with them and then they turn around the lawmakers turn around and misgender them in front of their face and say that they don't deserve the same opportunities as their peers 
you know, you have to believe that this is incredibly challenging for the trans community to hear and to take all of that. But also what it does is it, it informs the rest of society how they should treat and talk about trans people. And so, you know, really to underscore the damage of just having these bills introduced and seeing that in this time of people using tweets as news and reading the headlines, but not reading the nuance of the article, you know, there are a lot of myths and misconceptions that are being shared about the trans community, completely dehumanizing us, villainizing us. And it's incredibly frustrating to see that is being what's perpetuated, not the fact that we are real people, because you have to remember, this is about kids. This is about real kids who just want to play with their friends. Absolutely. And you started transathlete.com in 2013, which has been an incredible resource there's the take action tab, which is so great. Everyone should check it out. What actions would you say as most crucial for folks to take right now? Well, we're wrapping up our legislative session right now. And while some states do have ongoing, um, ongoing conversations or ongoing sessions of legislation, for the most part, we've seen uh, the bulk of what's going to happen in 2021 happen already. And so there are very few states where people in those states can actually reach out to their lawmakers and I think that's a key piece. You know, voting is really important, and that's like the foundation, right? We need to pay attention to our state and local elections because those are the lawmakers who are introducing pieces of legislation like this. But at the same time, reaching out and sharing your opinion does make a difference. And so, you know, I've been fortunate to create some templates for people to reach out to lawmakers to ask for vetoes in different states and actually see a significant impact from people using those tools and resources, calling your law, sending an email, you know, and it can take two minutes. And I know it can be scary to to do if you haven't done it before, but try to make it as easy as possible. And And lawmakers are really looking for those voices of their constituents, you know, in addition to that right now, I'd say gaining your own education about the topic of trans athletes is, is a really good ally move at this moment in time. I think watching Changing the Game documentary, using the resources that are on my website to enhance your understanding of terminology or concepts, building an inclusive policy. You know, we need to be able to talk about these issues in a way that we feel confident. And so you know, I think that education is one of the things that people that drives the misunderstanding and and the false narratives about trans people. So really, at this moment in time, you know, if you don't live in one of those states that are still ongoing, start with your own education so that you can start to have conversations. Education, so important. And we're going to get into changing the game, which is a really important educational resource. But first, I do want to ask you a couple questions that I think are is very related to changing the game about your own experience. I know that you've talked about how growing up in the Midwest, sport was a place where you would put a lot of your energy. Could you talk a little bit more about the role that sports played in your childhood and how it connected or maybe didn't to your gender identity? Yeah, I think sports helped me not think about my gender identity, actually, because when I was playing a sport, I was just an athlete. And that was really comforting to me because I had a pretty good sense at the age of four or five that I wasn't like my peers, but I didn't have the terminology for that until I was a much older adult. And so, you know, there was this time period where I saw my friends being validated and, and supported and affirmed outside of sports. And the only place that I really felt like I could get that connection was while I was playing sports. So sports was, became somewhere that I could 
put all of my effort into all of my energy and feel that community, feel that, that affirmation for being a good athlete and a good teammate and a good leader. And, you know, sport was really, I think sport is a life-saving tool for so many of us because it gives us that space where we can feel fully like ourselves when the rest of the world doesn't quite understand or accept us. Yeah, I mean, so important. And I think especially for people who come from any marginalized community, sport allows you to be yourself. But I think one interesting thing about your story is that, of course, you know, you became the first transgender athlete to compete in a world championship race and in the Olympic trials. And, you know, sport for you was a place where you could be yourself. But also it was a very public thing because you were fighting against harmful legislation and supporting transgender athletes on such a public level. So I imagine that could have been a hard thing to navigate that your identity was such a public focus when related to something that was so tied to kind of a a personal thing, identity in general. So what emotions came with that? What was that experience like? Yeah, for me, I I really didn't want to lose sport. And so when I understood that I was trans, I, I waited before I told anyone, I waited before I transitioned for almost a year and a half because I didn't want to lose the thing that was, you know, so crucial to my other identity, which was being an athlete. And I knew that in transitioning publicly, you know, I would forever be the trans athlete and I would be under scrutiny because there weren't trans athletes who were out competing and certainly no trans men who were competing with men. But I really saw it as an opportunity and I'm not exactly sure what clicked because I will tell you like for, you know, the rest of my life up until that day that I actually did come out, I did not want to be in photos. I did not want to be in articles. I wanted to be invisible. And it was because I wasn't comfortable with myself. And when I saw this opportunity to not only be myself and to continue doing what I loved, but also to maybe be, you know, some sort of beacon of hope for other people to be an example that other people could do what I was doing. I thought that that was probably the most special moment and maybe my purpose, like my calling to do that. And so I wanted to use sport then as a vehicle for social change. You know, my role models when I was growing up were the athletes who were creating change in the world. It was John Carlos and Tommy Smith, Muhammad Ali, Billie Jean King, Jackie Robinson, Roberto Clemente, these athletes who were using their platform to change the world. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't so disillusioned that I thought I was going to do that on the first day of coming out, but I did see that that could be a potential pathway because it hadn't been done yet. Yeah. You said, maybe this is my calling. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And I think you've definitely proven that it is just through this wide net you have cast to do all this incredible work to create a better sport community and a better world. And one of your recent projects is changing the game, the documentary. I know you were the executive producer. It takes us into the lives of three transgender teen athletes. There's Andrea, Mac, and Sarah. I loved watching this documentary. I thought it was so well done, uh, so important. I have so much praise for you and your team. Could you just give us a brief overview of the film and also your role in producing it. Yeah, the, I think you did a great overview of the film, but we uh, follow the lives of f- three transgender athletes and you know their experiences in high school as just kids being kids and playing the sports that they love. And we see their struggles and we see their triumphs and their joys. And we also get to connect with the family members, the coaches and the people around them to see the support system that they have and the things that they're facing in their daily life. 
You know, what I think is most incredible about this film is that there is literally a character in there that every single person can relate to. So if you don't see yourself in one of the athletes, you most certainly could see yourself or a family member in one of the supporting cast. And that's what I think is so cool is that we actually go on a journey with these athletes and with their families and their coaches and their communities. And I think, you know, this film does what what we need in media right now, which is humanizing the stories of trans people. Because if 80% of the United States believes that they have never met a trans person in real life, it becomes very easy to talk about us in theory, like I mentioned. But when you meet these kids, you just cannot not fall in love with them. (laughs) So, so I think that, that, you know, it's a really incredible film for highlighting this moment in time, their struggles, and just really humanizing the trans experience for these young athletes. Totally. I love what you said about how everyone can see themselves in someone in the film. I think one of the biggest examples of that for me was uh, Max. Mac lives with his grandparents. His grandmother is a hardcore Republican. And she said that she has no problem stepping on the toes of anyone who doesn't support transgender kids. Why was it so important to challenge that common dialogue that anti-transgender inclusion is Republican, pro-inclusion is Democratic? Yeah, this is not a partisan issue. And while it's made, it's been made out to be a partisan issue, you know, my identity should not be political. The, the, the identity of these kids should not be political. This, we're talking about basic human rights, dignity and respect and opportunities like every other kid has to play the sports they love, to be their authentic selves, to have a childhood and to have a, an experience in school that is like their peers. And that's not a political issue. And so I think it was really important to say uh, and to go on that journey with Grandma Nancy to to yeah. to follow her in, you know, we see her pull out guns and then we also see her fiercely support her trans grandchild. And, and, you know, I think that that's something that as you go through the film, you really go on that journey of acceptance and seeing how, how the family members talk about and share their experience as well. And, you know, she's just uh, such a crucial character to the whole storyline. For sure. And we also see Andrea, who is maybe more known in among listeners of this podcast, among runners. Uh, Andrea is a high school sprinter in Connecticut, my home state, actually. And I found one of the more powerful moments in the film to be when her mother talks about how there aren't many African-American trans women for her daughter to look up to, specifically in sports and the increased scrutiny that she receives for being not just a trans girl, but a black trans girl. Could you talk a bit more about the particular struggles that black transgender athletes face? Yeah, you know, I mean, to be clear, you know, I'm a I'm a white guy, and so <laughs> when I transitioned, I I transitioned into receiving that privilege of being perceived as a straight white man, and in my own journey, you know, that transition really highlighted white supremacy and white privilege for me in a way that I'd never thought about when I was navigating the world assumed to be a woman, and so, you know. In my own experience, this was really important to have a, to have a, a member of this film be able to speak to that experience of, you know, an experience that I cannot speak to and that Matt can speak to, you know, in that when we're looking at participation in sports, we see already, regardless of one's identity, that black women, black and brown women are policed in their bodies and their presentations in their performance in a way that white women are not. And, you know, we cannot remove the intersection of race and identity 
and particularly in sports. I mean, we've seen if recently Shikari Richardson, incredible sprinter, made the Olympic team in dynamic fashion, has been named, you know, the next Flo Joe and will be the one to watch at the Olympics in Tokyo. And when you Google her name, the second thing that comes up is Shikari Richardson, a man. And so we've seen in all athletes that there is a limit to how good a female athlete can be before she's no longer considered a woman. And there's also uh, this, this real scrutiny on black and brown bodies. And so, you know, I think Andrea's story really highlights that, that she's been under scrutiny in a way that, that I never was when I transitioned very, very publicly, or that other people who have been in the media have not been. And so you know, it's really, really important to call that out, to call out that black and brown women, trans women are the subjects of violence and discrimination and harassment at exponential rates higher than any other in our community. And, you know, we need to we need to share those stories. Yeah, I think that is incredibly important to point out. And even just watching the documentary, I was shocked by the comments that parents were making at track meets about Andrea. And maybe I shouldn't have been shocked, but I kept thinking, like, what questions is the film, what questions are the film crew asking to get parents to say such terrible things? Or were the parents really that candid about their bigotry? That's, you know, unfortunately, that is something that Andrea faced every single day. Andrea and Terry, you know, at, at all of their meets, we're hearing that in the stands. And there's also a scene where Mac is reading comments on social media. And, you know, when we're when we're going through these these moments of um, seeing how adults are talking about young people. I mean, it, it mirrors what we're seeing in lawmakers, this legislative session. It mirrors the, the what we're seeing on these right-leaning news outlets. And so this is unfortunately completely unprompted and really, you know, disheartening to say, this is the way that adults are talking about kids and what message is that sending to the young people in our lives. So this does center kids. We keep going back to that. And I think that, I mean, I can assume there are a lot of considerations that went into the fact that you're telling these stories of kids' lives, getting really deep into their personal stories, but you want to do that in a way that's not exploitative. How did you handle that? It's really about humanizing their stories in a way that does let them be kids. And, you know, of course, having family buy-in as well. Um, it was a long process of getting to know the families and the student athletes and and getting their trust and, you know, letting them know explicitly that we want to tell the story that is um, that is representative of who they are, not just as a trans person, but as a person. Like, I love that you get to see what they're interested in outside of sports. I love that you get to that glimpse into their life of, of hanging out with their friends and seeing like, you know, they're literally just high school students, <laughs> you know? And I, and I think that that get, gaining that um, rapport with them was really important in advance of filming. And I, I know that they wanted their stories told too, because I mean, these young people are incredible. Imagine being 16, 17, 18 years old and already being out in the public, having, uh, you know, having lawmakers tweeting about you, having your name brought up in, in state houses and being that public figure that you, when you just want to be a kid, and so they they were actually you know really willing to be that sort of beacon of hope for other young people uh, in in sharing their stories. 
Yeah. And I have to say as a viewer, I mean, that really came out and, you know, you could tell that they're of course, intelligent, extremely strong kids, but also multifaceted and just teenagers. And I know you have to go in a couple of minutes, so I'm going to wrap up, but I just want to ask, because I know people can find this film on Hulu. I hope everyone listening, if they haven't watched it already, goes over to Hulu and watches it. What do you hope people take away from this film? More than anything, I hope that they will watch it and use it as a tool to start dialogue. I think that this this film has the incredible opportunity to be the book club of of today, where uh, I fall asleep almost instantly when I start to read a book. So documentaries, movies, this is the this is the way that I think is really accessible for so many people. And you know, to use this to start a conversation with your family members, with your teammates, or your coaches, because it's it removes the personal aspect, which is really great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I mean by that is like when I was transitioning, I didn't want to be the sole focus of the reason why we had to create policies because that was a lot of pressure on me. And so this is, this is a great tool for people to begin their allyship journey or to strengthen their allyship journey and to start this start conversations with either other people or personal conversations to unpack some of the own assumptions, biases that you might have uh, already about trans athletes or trans people. And so I think it's just really a great tool to begin an educational process or continue one's allyship journey. Thank you for that. And the last question that I ask everyone, Chris, before you head out, why is sport a powerful platform for social change? Sport is something that unites us like no, nothing else can. And I think that you know, no matter no matter what I think of my neighbor down the hall, we can bond together because we like the Chicago Cubs, right? <laughs> it's something that brings us together, it, working in a team, team environment with a shared purpose, a shared cause, and unites people who may never speak outside of sport. So it's a, it's a real equalizer for people. And I think that that brings so much power in creating smaller communities that, that can create the change that we want to see in the rest of the world. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. And thank you for all of your work. It is truly world changing. And I am just so honored to have gotten the chance to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social Sport. If you enjoyed hearing from Chris Mosier, I hope that you go check out transathlete.com. It is a crucial resource to educate folks on terminology and policy that affects transgender athletes, as well as how to take action to fight anti-trans legislation. Of course, please go check out the documentary Changing the Game on Hulu as well. It is so well done and so important to watch. If you want to support Social Sport, the best thing you can do is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also stay updated on Social Sport by following at Social Sport Pod on Instagram and by subscribing to the newsletter at socialsport.substack.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and as always, stay sporty and keep resisting.